podcast about the process of making software. I'm your host, Ross Hunter. I'm joined today by Jason Sitch. Hey, Ross. And Jace Browning. How's it going? And we're going to talk about code comments. Uh, And that can kind of mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, So, Jason, why don't you start us off with your, your definition of what a code comment is? So the uh, for me, what I've come up with for the definition of uh, comments, uh, specifically code comments, I, I like to use that term, um, it goes like this. Metadata and source code that describes what code fails to communicate. I think that's key. Uh, some languages and frameworks opt to use the mechanism of comments as formal documentation for code, but these two concepts should be separated. Does that imply that ideally code would communicate everything necessary without comments? That, that is to say, is the goal that we eventually have some language that never requires comments? I think so. Um, like if you, if you look at something like assembly language or something, um, you'd probably use a lot of comments, right, to convey what's going on with code because code really fails to um, communicate what's going on. But if you look at a fourth generation language, I've heard the term, uh, or like a DSL, like the whole point of it is that, you know, it's very verbose. It, it reads like plain English. And you, I don't think you have comments in DSLs, really. Or, you know, when you get to like a cucumber type spec, like that's the whole point. Like it should read and you should understand, but it should be functioning code at the same time. Yeah, my... I guess my first professional language was C, a little bit of assembly, but mostly C. And this is in a regulated industry, aerospace. So our comments were large blocks above every function describing things. They describe what the function does, but then also preconditions, postconditions, invariants, any modified global state. So that you might be able to discern from reading the code, but in for, uh, Safety critical code, you kind of need to identify all that to truly understand how the function works. Yeah, and so that's more of like the documentation side. Um, you know, there's there's different types of comments. Uh, some some comments are are documentation. They are if if it's a a library or something like that where you're using where you're actually expected to pick this code up and and be able to use it. You know, out of the box or whatever. You. It, it does make sense to have a lot of uh, documentation around it um, right there in the code because that's what you're going to be using. Um, and like you were saying, Jace, there's industries where it's required, um, you know, licensing, stuff like that. Like, I, you know, there's there's always going to be the need for some type of, of metadata that you can stick in your code that doesn't necessarily need to get, um, you know, executed. And I think there's, I, to me, there's a clear separation of uh, formal documentation, which sometimes is, is, you know, the best mechanism is it's co-located with the code because you're, you're documenting um, like an API or something that expects very particular, you know, types and values to come into like a function and very specific values to come out of it. And like I said, it's some some API that someone's going to use, and code's going to interop with it. Um, and then there's also documentation, you know, above and beyond that, where 
you write and you describe the intent of what this code does and how it should be used. And a lot of times it's like a, you know, like a website or some other man page type thing. Um, and I, code comments, if you want to co-locate, I mean, that's the way you do it is you use commenting. But I also believe that like, um, I, ideally the code would convey everything you need to know about it. And I think if you look at a language like, uh, I've, I've heard Haskell specifically, there's a lot of lack of documentation. A lot of people cite the fact that, oh, well, you've got, you've got the types, just read the types. It explains everything about what the code is doing. And, and you know, and, and I think that's an example of, of going for, uh, you know, not having to add comments because your code's kind of self-documenting in a way. Yeah, it kind of goes with what you were saying. Like it's like fourth, fourth generation, and what are there like six that are defined or something up to the point where there's nothing that looks like code. Um, but the, I think we're, I, I think it's conf confused the topic because you, when you say comments, initially you think, oh, this is like the syntax in the language where you like, you know, it's like slashes or pound signs, and it's like it's like some like kind of ugly thing in the code where. It, even I would say like type annotations could be considered comments, right? Or like type signatures, eventually all that kind of stuff could be considered comments. No? I, I think a big difference, um, <clears throat> and one of the reasons that I try to avoid comments for these types of things is they aren't, uh, they aren't, they aren't executable. Um, and if, it, it, there are certain types of linters and stuff that can pick these things up, but for the most part, that's one of my big issues is I I want to have tests around this code that that fully convey these things. Um, I want, you know, name these, you know, be very verbose with your variables and, you know, your method names and all these things that, that can really avoid the need for a lot of these comments. Um, so, you know, it's funny that you bring up like, you know, Haskell is like, that's not it's not readable though right i mean i mean <laughs> the idea is um you know you can remove the need for code by having very readable very you know english like languages um and i, I so I, that, that's interesting that you would bring up haskell i wouldn't i would not think of that yeah you, you definitely would have to know the language and kind of know just how things work before i think you'd understand it cuz it's probably huge burden and hurdle for beginners to the language. Um, also, I wanted to say, you're talking about how they're not executable. I think maybe Elixir, or there might be some other language that do allow like executable examples within uh, like doc strings, I think, uh, that can be run as like tests. I, fi I found that idea pretty interesting. I haven't actually used it or seen it. Have you, have you guys seen that by chance? Yeah, Python has something like that too called this doc test where you can basically embed what looks like a, a REPL session uh, into your doc strings, and then if you run doc test, it will run them. It's cool, um, but I'd probably rather just write like real unit tests. It, it, would be, it would be nice if you were actually generating documentation and then publishing it somewhere because then you'd know that at least your examples are functional and, and work. I, for me personally, like there's a point in my career when I thought maybe documentation was cool and important. I was kind of taught that uh, 
outside of even like regulatory standards, like I was in aerospace for a while where, you know, it's, it's part of your process, you have to do it. Um, but even outside of that, I was taught that it was a good idea. But, you know, I personally, I'm to the point where um, I don't really write doc strings a lot. Um, and, or, you know, like documentation in line and code. Um, especially, I don't, I don't work on stuff that's not going to be used by, by other people, typically. You know, it's not a, a library or framework that someone else has to know, you know, the inputs and outputs and side effects and stuff like that. So I, I, I'd hope that the code itself communicates enough, and if not, there's probably an issue there um, that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I'd say that the two types of code I'm writing most often are starting to diverge. You know, I started with, you know, regulation where you have to do this. So in all the code I was writing, I tried to do a little bit of documentation. But now I'm turning more into, like, if it's stuff that's for me or for a team or for a company, you try to write just self-documenting code. But I'm also, you know, I also maintain some open source libraries. And for those, I think I don't have enough documentation. It's certainly not, I'm not, I don't, I feel like I'm not making libraries that I would want to contribute to because I wouldn't, you know, if I'm not me, I wouldn't know how to contribute and I wouldn't know how things fit together and how to actually use the library as an advanced user. For my uh, open source stuff, I, I, I definitely don't think that putting the documentation in line is as important as having a really nice readme. Um, uh, or or website or, or whatever you're you're trying to do. Um, I've got a you know testing library um, that'll be in the show notes. Um, but for for that, it's really about you know the examples and and how do you use it. And even that in my README, um, which maybe it's confusing to people, but I try to have the um, I just try to have verbose and explanatory names. Uh, for variables and functions, so that so that it's it's all pretty self-explanatory. Um, that's the goal, right? Um, the idea that, um, and I've also I write a lot of Ruby, so the idea that like, oh, the name is a string, you know, like yeah, obviously the name is a string. Like I I find a lot of those like type type comments, whether <laughs> whether enforced by a compiler or not. Um, type comments like that I don't I don't think add a lot and so when I see stuff like that in JavaScript um, or, or any other language where there's those type annotations I I feel like they're just I don't know what they're trying to do I actually have had a few issues I guess with uh, what you're talking about with like type comments and dynamic languages or um, where <laughs> I've tried to use um, specifically like gems and Ruby, where um, I'm not sure what I'm going to get back or what it expects. And I go look at documentation, and there's nothing to tell me. And I've had to go into source code to check. Like the other day, I was looking at this error, handler, error handling library, and the question came up is, um, uh, we caught an exception, and we wanted to record it. and we the way the way that it got propagated back up was just as a string. It's no longer like an error or a, a standard error or whatever. Um, and I was, I was hoping just to like use this error reporting software and just pass it a string. 
and I go look at the, the documentation because it's like, well, does it do it? And the only way to like figure this out is either to try it or, you know, go look at the docs. So I go look at the docs. The docs don't say anything about what it should be or what you can pass to it. And uh, for me, I think, oh, it's Ruby and it's Rails. It's probably magical. You can pass anything to it. But I, I did the needful and I dove into the actual source code. And it turns out, no, you cannot pass string to it. It really expects an exception. And that'd be, that'd be nice to know, I guess. Uh, you know, and and I, I, there's been other times when I've wanted to reach for documentation and know maybe what something returns specifically. Um, and if not been able to find out, you know, what it is. And I, I, I think that's pretty common with dynamic languages. I've experienced the same with uh, some Python libraries too. So yeah, there's kind of the, uh, you know, Hungarian notation thing where you could say, um, you know, you'd have a little bit of a type annotation in the name of the thing. Uh, I, I do try to avoid that most of the time. It's kind of weird to say like, you know, cars array um, th those types of annotations. If it's something that matters, something like, uh, like what you're describing where there's an exception and a string, you know, version basically of the same thing, I do try to do that type of thing. Um, I try to be very explicit with the name of the variable and, you know, return, return ex you know return exception versus return exception message or something like that might might be how I might try to approach something like that um, but I've also had the same type of thing with you know active record type stuff where you're not sure if you're getting the relation back or if it's an array but that that's more of just like you have to kind of just just learn that um, over time And I think one of the best ways to to learn that over time and to improve your code is just code review. And I think uh, documentation and comments don't get enough enough focus on code review. They're almost it, it's almost unfortunate that our syntax highlighters gray out gray them out. It's like they're not important. So I think people often just skip over them. So I think uh, I was talking to Ross earlier about. Um, Linter is actually looking at your doc strings, and um, I love the, the Python, um, I forget which pep, but something says your comments should be imperative mood, in an imperative mood, and uh, I remember the Linter telling me that, and that was kind of, I laughed when that happened. <laughs> is that, is that, I would think... you like to see more of that, Jace? I mean, I think that is just to avoid bike shedding. I think that is just like somebody decided this is what a this is what a doc string should sound like and look like, and just don't debate, don't have that debate. Just imperative mood, you're done. All right, fair enough. And, and that's so the idea of having code as formal documentation, you know, uh, air air quotes on formal. Um, but some type of structure to your comments, um, you know, defining the parameters and and all those things, um, like that. That's one type of comment. We we we've kind of talked about that. The other, the other type of comment um, that you see a lot is just inline comments. You know, just like one off. Um, like we need to do this because of this library. You know, hack. Like this library does this weird thing, and so here's some bad code. Um, is an example of a type of comment. Um, 
these these comments can be helpful. You know, like back to the Sitch new new technical dictionary uh, definition is you know it's where it's where code fails to to convey exactly what we're trying to say. Uh, you might want to th- you a particular the API to something might be bad. Uh, you, you might be using an external library. And they haven't done a good job of naming their functions and and having a clean API, and so you might want to comment that and be like, "Hey, this this cryptic message here, it means this." Um, and that you know, personally, I find that that perfectly acceptable. Um, you can go too far. I have definitely seen uh, just very recently. I was look, working on some like Capistrano deploy scripts and it's and it said like before deploy you know uh, RVM install RVM and then there was a comment next to it that like clarified install RVM um, and that's completely unnecessary that that is getting in the way like oh there's you know and th- this goes to a lot of things about why you might not want it it catches your eye and you read it and then you read it and you're like why did i read that that wasted my time yeah that, that kind of gets into the classic programming 101 lesson on comments and the comments should explain why and not how i i don't really know why we see this happen where because you see it all the time where a comment literally just says what the code is doing in, in objective terms i'm not sure where that habit comes from so one of my favorite books, it's a giant book, but it's uh, Code Complete by Steve McConnell, I think. It's a giant book. Um, but it's, it's interesting as like it's, he basically tries to uh, just teach you programming in a very generic sense across like everything. So that's why it's like this giant book. But in it, one of the things that I saw in it that was kind of interesting was um, using comments as a way to do development where you create a kind of like a to-do comment of what you wished would happen here before you've written lines of code. So you like you write a function and then you put, um, you know, uh, you know, create an array, uh, loop over array, and then I, I don't know. Um, yeah, you pseudocode using comments, and then you actually go back through and you write the code, and I think at that point you can pretty much remove the comments because they're not serving value anymore. But uh, I found that kind of an interesting way to like develop stuff, and I actually do that sometimes when I'm trying to like think through what a method or a function needs to do. Uh, I'll write some comments first, or pseudocode kind of, to get me started so I know... Also, it's, it's, it's helpful, I think, like, in my mind, it helps me organize my thoughts as to what I want to have happen. Another thing I might use code comments for is um, just adding a little bit of structure to, some, to something. Um, uh, an example, a good example is something like a gem file, um, or uh, it'd be nice if, <laughs> it'd be nice if JSON had code comments so you could do it in your package JSON and stuff like that. But it config files is a great place to have code comments. Um, if they're just adding that, that structure, um, you know, I usually have like, Oh, all of my, 
all of my gems related to assets together, all of my testing, well, there's test groups and stuff like that, but, um, so, uh, or even if it's a, uh, if it's a legacy project and I'm coming into it and there's, um, uh, the first step I do is try to add some structure with comments and, um, try to explain to myself what the code is doing in line. Um, and then hopefully, uh, take that next step and, and pull some of that code out. Um, so code as, you know, for explanatory code comments for explanatory purposes, um, they're definitely useful. I would never want to take them away from anyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, you mentioned like legacy code, but I, I think it, it serves a purpose even if you're writing brand new code. If you're going to have a function that has lots of lines in it, but it, the function does one single thing, it just maybe requires lots of steps. In a lot of cases, it, it makes sense to me to just break that up into a few sections and just label each section like, okay, first prepare this thing for this and then set up this for this and then do this for this, obviously describing what it's actually doing. You know, some people might say, well, you should just break that up into four functions and call the four functions. But to me, that's not as good in a lot of cases because now you have to come up with four really good names for functions rather than what you had before where you could just describe what this code is doing in basically as many words as you need. Yeah, I think that could be a whole conversation about how to uh, how many lines should be in a function. But um, looping back to what we're saying about structure, um, you're, you're lacking structure, and yeah, sometimes I do that too. Add comments in, and um, anything uh, like C sharp and I guess editor like Visual Studio together, um, they have this idea of like regions where like you create a region using comments. I think you give it a name so that when you're in a large file. Um, that you can divide stuff up in their regions and it provides like folding automatically on those regions so you can collapse them if you're in a really large file with lots of functions in it. So that's that's a pretty cool thing. That sounds terrible. That sounds <laughs> like it should be broken up into multiple files and multiple functions. And uh, Ross, if, if you're creating a big ASPX page with all the handlers in the back, for it, you need you need some regions to collapse. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and that's why you know I mentioned like legacy code and stuff like that. It seems like it's not the best situation to be in where you have where you have to explain what's going on with your code. Um, I you know I'm a I'm a fan uh, of breaking stuff up as much as possible. I think you should maybe spend some time thinking about what you're doing and come up with names for them rather than, um, you know, Hey, this whole thing works. Um, and I think that is some positive pressure. Not that it's not that it's the best thing to do all the time, but I think there's some positive pressure there to keep your, and, and, and yes, this is a whole nother discussion, but keep your individual methods short. Um, that's definitely positive pressure. You can, you can write tests for them, blah, blah, blah. Um, but again, that's, that's kind of a whole nother bag of worms. Um, but I, I do think that people don't take enough time to name variables, name methods, um, stuff like that. I, I do see a lot of, uh, you know, people try to be succinct and they, they shorten up, 
you know, they drop every <laughs> every vowel from a variable for some reason, um, or or even you know maybe not name their method name. Once it hits you know four words or whatever, they just feel weird about it, and so they take some words out or something like that. And I think this is something that I probably got from uh, writing a bit of Objective C is to just get over that, like write a giant method name that takes, you know, that describes, and this is a, a lang- you know, language construct thing, being able to have named parameters and stuff like that. Um, but even, even put the name of the parameters in your method signature, you know, find, you know, find object at time. And then you give it a time, you know, like rather than find object that takes a time object, you know, you know, something like that where you're describing in the signature of your method what it means. Uh, I think that has helped me out a lot in 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 other languages besides Objective-C. Yeah, certainly if you're doing like some math or something and just doing one letter variable names and then leaving a comment that explains what the formula is. That's not what is meant by explain why you're doing what you're doing. In that case, just name your, you know, name your variables something meaningful. Uh, another, another case, though, I think for a good case for this, like inline comments, is when you're doing something strange or that, something that even looks broken or wrong, but it's intentional because of some situation you run into. Maybe it's some API behaving strangely, or maybe you tried what made sense and it didn't work. And you need to document why it didn't work and why we have to do this instead. No, that's, that's, a, that's a, a very good use and probably should be used more often. I know, like, I, th- I feel like people will come into code and without a comment like that, will uh, start refactoring and put a lot of time and effort into it to clean it up and then get down the road and be like, oh, now I see why they did it this way and have to throw away all that effort. You know, and it's, I don't know, that's a shame. But you also have to be very intentional there, right? Because if the comment just says, man, this is bad, and then you write your code that's like, uh, you know, is intentionally bad, but you just like kind of have this emotional offhand comment, but you need to be very clear, like, this code, you know, is intentional for the following reasons, link to some documentation, you know, have even like a large comment block to really point out that this is intentional and not just. Um, you know, a disposable comment. Yeah, there's a, a you know common uh, you know dragons ahead, um, which which I think is is pretty much good enough. Like I, I, if you can be explanatory more than that, I think that's fine. But I I do think the idea of like, hey, this one method is is weird. Um, but something where it's just like, oh, uh, like hack like just the word hack or something like that is not good enough. Um, (laughs) I like the idea of adding, you know, telling us why. Um, I don't like the idea of like suggesting code should be refactored um, or anything like that. Because all code should should be refactored. Yeah, that that. and, um, you know, things change over time. Like the idea that like, um, uh, another, uh, like another, like related thing is I saw, you know, some comment from, from a developer in some, in some Ruby code and it, it and it just, you know, 
uh, was uh, you know a, a, a short uh, a short manifesto about why respond to is bad. Um, and that was clearly written by someone who doesn't write a lot of Ruby code. Like, uh, if you're just putting in some emotional stuff and it's like just saying this is bad, um, there you have the chance to be wrong. Like this, this comment was wrong. Like using respond to is the right thing to do in this situation. So blanket statements like this code is bad are not helpful. Yeah. And it's like, what about, um, like, I, I always think a lot of this could be replaced with like a link to a GitHub issue or something with like, Hey, I, th I, you know, we should re replace all respond to's with X or whatever. We should handle it this way if they have a, a way to handle it and not just like, like what's the point of spending so much time putting in a comment saying this should do something else. And then just leave it. What, like, what is what purpose does the comment? Is it assigning responsibility to the next guy that comes along and reads it? I don't think so. I don't think they're any more likely to change it than you are when you write that comment. And I, I, it really starts getting into um, your lifestyle for software development and what you choose as a team to do and when to take stuff on. And if you're going to delay it, you got to put a flag in the sand. You got to create something and a tool outside of source code to drive you to do something about it. Uh, unless you have some kind of process that says like, hey, like nothing gets deployed if we still have to do comments in the code or something like that, that'd, that'd be fine too. But you need, to, you need to do something other than just leave something for someone else. Yeah, I don't, I don't really wanna see any comments that are emotional or subjective or humorous or anything imperative mood uh, and just objective and if they're to do comments they better be actionable and they better be specific enough that anyone understands what the action is uh, yeah I'm a big fan of yeah like include a link if, if, you, if it's a longer discussion or you know you see something that's bad you know even like what you said Ross like this has to be refactored I don't know what that would mean but or like this has to be changed eventually add, a, add an open an issue in your you know your ticket ticket system add a link to that and that's better than any sort of like you know pouring your heart out into the code comment because like, that's permanent i mean that's that's like actually you know part of the, the you know the permanent record and part of your git history and all that and like that's going to be just noise to most people i i do think there's a little bit something there where you are explaining to like if you're not confident in something um, I, I, it is not unreasonable to write a code comment that says, Hey, I'm not confident in this. Like me personally, Ross Hunter is not confident in this. I tried other things. This is where I landed. I think that is totally acceptable. It's not, uh, you know, hopefully throughout code review, somebody is like, no, this is fine. Like, don't worry about it. You can remove that comment or, you know, better uh would be like hey here's here's some suggestions on how to make this not be bad yeah well i cut the code review thing kind of saved your ass i i don't care for a code comment i guess i don't i don't think it belongs there but if you had a like uh where i work we do use github's like pull request reviews and in there like i guess when i create a pull request if i have something to say like that i will put a comment on my own review saying, hey, like, 
I did it this way. I'm open, you know, I wouldn't mind some help or something. Like, I, I don't think source code is the appropriate place to put things like that. That should be, uh, you should have some kind of process to handle issues like that. Yeah, I, I think that is a an exception. I, I mean, that you, man, I hope you're not writing code like that all the time, you know, where you, you feel that uncomfortable about it. Um, but I, I think you, I, I think you could, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold it against anybody too, too badly. Um, but I think that's different than, uh, another thing I see is like code comments, emotional code comments as a way to absolve myself of responsibility. Um, you know, I, I think that's a different thing to say like this code is bad and then just, and then just kind of keep going. Um, I, I do think there's a little bit of a fine line there with that. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to repeat what Jason said even more clearly. Cause I think it's maybe a new concept that I haven't, haven't seen at least like a year ago. I didn't see people doing this, but it's, you know, you write your, your, you say you're working by yourself or something, and, you know, you you get your feature working and you open a pull request. Before you get anybody to look at it, you go through and you basically review your own code. And you leave comments on anything that's possibly questionable, kind of explaining your reasoning if it's not clear from the, the product you produced. So, like, the, the code comment is what goes in the permanent record. That's things you are sure people are going to need a year from now to use your code. But then you all the comments you leave on your own code and your as your as your self-review, your peer yeah, self-review of your code is kind of like answering potential questions in advance, but then also explaining, you know, your emotion when you were writing this and the things you learned and things that are, you know, they're not disposable, but they don't need to be read by everyone reading the code. Yeah, it's it, I think it depends, like I said, it it, it um that's that's the easy way out is to say it depends but there are times where i'm looking at code and i think that it looks bad but i don't really know you know maybe i can't quite put my finger on it if there's a comment there that says like hey i'm not sure about this code then i i feel like okay good like i am i feel better uh i i might be more willing to refactor it something like that versus a code comment that says Hey, this is bad, but this is why it's bad. Um, so, so I, I don't think you want to, like I said, use it as a way to absolve yourself of responsibility. You know, I've marked the I've marked the broken window, um, so it's not my not my fault anymore. Um, but I do think it's worth saying, hey, there's a crack. There might be a crack here, um, but it's not it's not bad enough that it needs to go into a uh, a formalized process where it gets marked as a as a bug or or anything, but I also don't want to lose the train that hey this this was I recognized an issue on this a year ago. Whereas if I come back to it, I'm like oh why is this code all bad? Um, so I I definitely think it, it's a fine line and something you should try to avoid. But I I don't think it's a cardinal sin. Well, do you not know what the issue is? Like, is the reason you're leaving a comment is because you don't know what the issue is? Like, this kind of feels bad. Like, could, wouldn't it be enough to say like I'm I might know like this code is not performant and maybe we should replace it with you know a better algorithm or you know maybe I feel like this isn't, you know, I'm, I'm new to this programming language and it doesn't follow, it doesn't seem like I followed the convention. But at that time, again, that seems like a code review 
you know, to me, it all comes down to what the issue you're talking about seems like a process uh, issue, and not necessarily anything that has to do with like I, I don't know the 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 code is not failing to communicate something to me, right? Your process is broken down at this point. So I I I have seen I I do believe the opposite is worse. Um, creating an issue to refactor something in a like in a project management software like it's like okay deprioritize that like so the idea that um if it truly is a big deal then yes it needs to be tracked somewhere but if it's a little deal and it and uh you're trying to you know wrap a bunch of process around the fact that i just want to like say this code is bad and I just want people to know this code is why, bad. Why not? Why not just let it be though? Like, why not? Why not let code be good enough? And we use the term like craftsmanship and stuff like that. Sometimes I think that's kind of BS. Um, but if it does what it's supposed to do, like I'll, a lot of times, I I will hold comments on PR reviews because I I don't feel like they add like a lot of value, even though I I could be like. Oh, you should change it like this little bit. You'd be a little more idiomatic or, you know, if you did this, this might make more sense or might be more readable. But if it's not like a huge issue, I just let it go. And I'm not going to like, I wouldn't make you put a comment in there. I wouldn't make you actually change anything in the PR. And a lot of times in my reviews, I'll, I'll explicitly say, hey, like food for thought, you don't have to implement this, but, you know, it might look better this way or read better this way or do this. Yeah, I don't I, like I think that's that's totally fine. And and I agree with you. I wouldn't I try not to be picky on these types of things either. Um, this is the, it's a it's a hypothetical where I believe that leaving some kind of comment might help someone in the future. I'm going to do that. Um if I again, if I think it's going to help somebody, and, and I it might be something um, I, I would need to make that that decision at at the time. But the idea that I that I would want to create, I have deprioritized so many like you know created an issue to refactor this. It's like okay, I'm never like I'm never going to do that unless I have to, like unless unless some other code needs to change and I need to refactor that. Am I going to do it? And when I go in there, I'll be glad to see like, hey, this, you know, uh, even something as simple as, you know, this library, uh, you know, the next version of this library is going to fix this bug, but for now we have to do it this way. Something like that sounds like a totally reasonable code comment to me. Yeah, I'm not going to argue, like, I don't think anybody's going to argue that you should put refactor code into your, you know, project management software. Um, but but there's the other side is okay you're putting these these sticky notes on windows that you think might be cracked eventually every window has a sticky note on it and anywhere you go in the code there are like concerns that this might be bad so i don't know i think it should be like okay is there is there something wrong here is there a bug like do we need to fix this but if not if it's just like this code makes me feel a little weird i don't know i think you know, maybe make a note to yourself, and then if you're going to get you know involved with that code tomorrow, you fix it tomorrow. But I don't think a year from now anybody cares that somebody felt weird about this code when they read it or wrote it a year ago. I I tend to agree with that. Where it's like just I don't know, just let it go and and kind of 
uh, along those same lines. So like Jason and I are, are working on a, a side project together and we're kind of working uh, on two different like back end, front end, totally different languages. And there's a lot of stuff that I've got going on on the, the front end that I know are issues, but I, I don't actually put any comments to that effect or really GitHub issues to that effect. And it's probably because we have a team size of two, right? And our responsibilities are, are cl really clearly defined. But I, I just let stuff go all the time, knowing that at some point I'll, I'll have to pay the price and like change stuff. And I think as a team, though, I, I don't know. Again, it comes down to process, I think, where it's like, hey, um, when is the proper time to refactor? You guys, you, as a team, you need to define what that is. Like, should you put something in issue tracker? Um, I don't think source code's the best, but I, I don't think if you're gonna, if you're not gonna put a flag in the sand, like you're putting a flag in the sand either in source code or an issue tracker. Um, but if you don't do either, like, just do the refactor. Don't write the comment, don't create the issue, just do the thing. And if that doesn't work out, just don't do anything, just let it be especially if it works. Uh, unless you have plans to, to refactor, um, a, lot, a lot of times other features and other things can drive refactorings, right? Like we know we need to clean this up before we're able to deliver feature X. So that, that might be another path forward too, is actually more features. And, and this is uh, a religious war that a lot of people have. Uh, I tend to agree with what I think you were just saying, which is you refactor as you deliver features the idea that you would bang out a feature stop and go refactor it later you know like uh you you never do that second part um so i would agree with you but th this is uh that we're we're a little bit um far afield here uh <laughs> for the for the idea of, of code comments so <laughs> i just want to get your thoughts on this to do comments with dates attached to them. Is this a good idea? So with everything else I said, uh, so just, just, I just want to summarize here. I hate writing code comments. I try to avoid them all the time. Um, if, I, if I can't, then I will write them. And I think it's okay to just to uh, warn about some potentially weird things that are going on in the code. These are all perfectly valid reasons. I delete code comments of other people all the time. Um, and, I, and I think that that's maybe okay. So the idea that I would say like, hey, this code is weird, um, blah, 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 and someone else would come around and decide, you know what, respond to is fine. I'm going to delete your code comment. Uh, I think that is perfectly valid process. Uh, you know, that... It's it's okay to write comments that you that that are going to be deleted. Um, it, it depends on what what the process is. Now this is you know on legacy projects that that you know there's only one person working on them at a time. Um, you know that they span several years. Like that's that's a better way to communicate to me. Like this this developer from 2014, that was a better way to communicate to me than any you know project management software that's been changed three times since then. So I think it's, it's, a, it's definitely a complicated issue. See, all of the uh, kinds of code comments that I would advocate for should never be deleted unless the corresponding code changes. So I think we, 
I think maybe your code comment standard allows for more kinds of code comments that I would hope get removed in the code review process and resolved somehow. Yeah, the, the worst thing is when code changes and code comments don't. That is, that is the worst. Um, I, I definitely hate that. That's one reason I, I, I read comments and I, I delete them. If, uh, if, I, if there's any amount of inkling that I want to delete it, I, I will. Because a lot of times they reference code that's not actually there anymore. And all sorts of other, uh, all sorts of other bad things that happen when you use a lot of code comments. Sounds like it's probably a failing of your code review process at that point <laughs> yeah uh my code review process on this legacy project that's you know you know seven years old or whatever like the I, I agree that if you are in active development on something like leaving leaving code comments as a way to communicate amongst your team is a bad idea um, but not everybody not all code has process around it you know, going going beyond just like comments and like one one thought I've had is um, actually be cool to have to develop something. And I'm not not recalling like every use case I've thought of for this, but I think there are some use cases here that we've we've actually just hit on. Is if if there was some type of technology or something, and probably be language specific, but to add annotations to code that could reference specific lines of source code that lived outside of source code. So it'd be nice, like, the comments were only about the source code, you know, it'd be, again, going back to my definition, it's either documentation, probably even documentation could be moved out, but uh, it, it might be a comment explaining something, but it actually lived outside of the pure, like, source code, where it's not absolutely, like, needed for you to read the source code, but it ties directly to the source code somehow, and maybe having some kind of tooling around that to overlay that information or show it side by side or something like that. I think of um, what, one interesting that kind of maybe an implementation of that is um, annotated source, um, like you'll see in documentation, <laughs> documentation or some kind of walkthrough where they have like source code on the right and they basically have like um, paragraphs of text on the left that point to specific lines of code that describe what's going on and things like that. I think that's kind of interesting. It'd be nice to have somehow standardized, I guess, and actually had some tooling around it. Would you guys find anything like that useful? Yeah, it, I, I feel like GitHub is almost doing that, except it only really your github's only in that mode when you're viewing a diff on a pr but it does sort of track comments two lines and i think you might be able to go comment on arbitrary lines of code but there's no way to surface all that information into a single uh, document but it would be i agree it would be useful that does make me think of one other uh one other thing uh you know we're talking about like i'm di you know doing some code uh archaeology and, and finding some old code and thinking it looks weird um i do also just do like a blame and go go look at the um i'll go look at that commit and i might see what the there might be some information there um one problem with stuff like that is you have um 
if you do a big refactor and you just move code around or you change the indentation on something, stuff like that can can lose some of that information. Um, but I do think that a, a lot of that information uh, should should be Git Git centric, and that Git has you know is an, it has an implied timeline and person associated with the code and uh, those types of things that that convey extra meaning about you know these essentially comments. I think you know having the tooling would be key for visualizations, um, be able to see it uh, easily. You know, because uh, I, I can imagine a ways of like actually implementing the documentation part of it, but like the tooling around it would probably be the key to it. Yeah, that, that's another one of my my dream future tools would be like fourth generation version control, which would be semantic diffing and semantic versioning, where even a major refactor would be tracked exactly what you do. If you rename a variable, the, the, the data that's actually stored in the version control is just variable renames. I think that would then open it up to what Jason was describing, where you could also track metadata and all sorts of other things along with the code. So one other, uh, potentially the most common type of comment you might see, uh, at least by lines of code, is commented out chunks of code. And this is objectively wrong. Uh, I, I think there's there's really no um, justification for keeping around giant chunks of commented out code any longer than like, hey, I commented it out for, you know, you might merge the code because you're just going to work on that next or something like that. There's there's very short period of time in which commented out code is is should be allowed. It's just not helpful it's uh immediately out of date um it's it, it there's just no good thing about it yet i literally see it every day in you know <laughs> dozens of projects even open source projects that are in theory or have lots of eyes on them it's it's hard to explain i mean i, I think it is probably failing a failed education on how version control works and you know how how easy it is to like pull backup changes and and things like that but yeah i mean there's there's no i don't think there's any valid case for commenting out code and then committing it and especially not like then merging that change and putting that into your main branch yeah i think and i i think i forget about it too all the time but uh just.github.com is probably your friend when you have a chunk of code that you want to somehow remember and not have to dive through git history to find but uh you don't necessarily just want to comment it out in source code and leave it either so just move it to just name it and then you go find it at some point i think is key as i say that i'm now recalling cases where i have done just what i said to never do um, and and here's here's a case where it might be okay. Maybe you can you can fight with me on this. Um, configuration files that are less of code. They 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 feel less like code than than executable code does. So a, a case I'm thinking of is uh, you know we're in process of like switching uh, CI environments and cer certain things were broken, but like everything was almost ready. So rather than delete the code and put in the, the hack, which was, which was known to be temporary, it was 
the working code was, you know, working configuration code was commented out, the hack was pasted in, and then a giant block comment to do, like, this is very temporary, you know, in, like, investigate in a week and then remove this and put this code back. Is that allowable? Did it work? Yeah. Then it's I, I fine. I mean, did, did, uh, <laughs> did that process work, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't want... <laughs> here's, here's my, like, my feelings with that and then kind of with all other code comments and everything we've talked about. I feel like I like what I'm doing, <laughs> but I don't, I don't want anyone else to do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny, and it's, it's just kind of part of uh, having this podcast and, and, you know, essentially talking about, talking about bike shedding stuff, really. I mean, I hate bike shedding. I hate, like, when, when I'm actually trying to get stuff done, I hate having these types of conversations, um, which is one of the reasons to have just, just set up your process and just go with that. It's it's lifestyle choices. If if we all decide collectively that we're not gonna we're gonna try not to have code comments. All right, cool. We're gonna put that in there. Let's not spend any time talking about code comments after that. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about a lot of things that are where the answer is it depends. And it's if you complete that sentence, it depends on what your team wants to do. And your team should decide what it wants to do, it should document it and just do it and then stop talking about it and make it part of your make it part of your process thank you for taking the time to listen to our thoughts here on the new best practices we are on the internet at the new you can find our contact information there we're on twitter and whatnot feel free to yell at us if you enjoy this program please leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice and tell your friends We are currently, very slowly, working on the next season, and any feedback is greatly appreciated. Thanks again. We look forward to next time.